Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. Whoa, 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 Cameron, Cameron. Yes, sir. I hired you as an intern, not as the host of the show. You can't be stealing my lines. I mean, why would everyone pay me the big bucks to be the host if you're going to come in and try to steal the show from me, man? This You've got to learn your place. And I, I want you to know right off the bat, I am the boss here, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm, yes, sir. I'm sorry. I, I just, you know, I got carried away. I was so excited. Well, I got to tell you what, I'm excited too, because I am glad that you are joining the team at the Turkey Hunter Podcast. And I am glad as well to be introducing you to everyone tonight. This is Cameron Weddington, and he is my intern. And you guys know if you listen to the show regularly, towards the end of last year, I'd mentioned that I was looking for an intern. And I found one, and I found a good one too. So I'm excited that Cameron's joined the team. And Cameron, do you care to tell everyone how you and I met and how this came about? Yeah, I emailed you and I said, I'm looking for public land to hunt in Alabama because I'm currently in college here. And you emailed back and said, give me a call. And I thought that was really, really neat of you to want to actually talk to me over the phone. And I, you know, I listen into the Turkey Hunter podcast quite often. And so I gave you a call and you said, yeah, let's meet up for lunch. And so we, we met for lunch and then you kind of mentioned the internship and I, I was really interested in it. So we emailed back and forth and then met again for a formal interview. And now I'm considered the intern for the Turkey Hunter podcast and I'm really excited about it. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to having your help and your input as well. And looking forward to some of the great things that I know you're going to help out with and really helping to grow the presence of the Turkey Hunter podcast on social media and helping out with some of the editing of the show and that kind of thing. So I'm really glad to have you on the team. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Uh, yes. If you want to give away your age, you can do that, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Yes, sir. I actually am from Brownsville, Tennessee, a small town in West Tennessee, and currently in school at Samford University here in Birmingham. Go um, Bulldogs. I, yeah, go Bulldogs. And I actually turned 21 today. Happy birthday. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And I just, you know, I've really enjoyed my stay here in Birmingham and having this internship is going to be a really good opportunity for me. And I'm I'm really excited about it. And I really do have a passion for the outdoors and for, for turkey hunting. And I am just a student of the game and spend a lot of my time reading books by people like Tom Kelly and the people who have really mastered the art of turkey hunting. Good deal. And so, Hopefully, sometime soon, your parents will listen to the show, and they will know that I've started you off on the right foot. On your 21st birthday, you are not in a bar <laughs> getting drunk. I've got you at home, on the computer, on your cell phone, on Skype, and keeping you on the straight and narrow. See how good the Turkey Hunter podcast can be for you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. They will love to hear that. <laughs> or maybe it's got more to do with school and the fact that you have a test tomorrow. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you showing interest in being a part of the team, and I'm glad to have you on. I'm excited about the things that you're going to bring to the Turkey Hunter podcast and excited about working with you as well. You know, I think that 
you've got a lot that you can teach me. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure you guys will hear from Cameron a little bit off and on through some of these episodes. He doesn't know that yet, but there are things that I have in mind for him to do to where he will be making an appearance here and there. So keep your ears out for Cameron. And if you want to shoot him an email and tell him welcome, his email address is Cameron, that's C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at IamTurkeyHunting.com. Cameron at IamTurkeyHunting.com. I know he would love to hear from you guys, and you guys reach out to him and welcome him to the family. So, Cameron, before I let you go and get you back to the books for tonight, I want you to know that I just finished an hour and 52-minute long interview that you're going to have to edit down to about 24 minutes. Yes, sir. That's going, to be, that's going to be your first project. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I have confidence, complete confidence in you that you can do it. Yes, sir. I, I, I will get it done. See, I love that attitude. I really don't, Cameron. It was about an hour and 10 minutes, and <laughs> there's really not that much editing to do to it. It's, it turned out to be a really good interview, so it'll be easy for you. But let's end on this note, seriously. Okay. Tell me the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that happened on that hunt that made the difference in you squeezing the trigger or not? Okay. I'd say my my most recent turkey hunt was actually probably one of the most memorable hunts I've had. I I got a call from my high school best friend who I haven't had a chance to hunt with since we've been in college, and I went to Nashville to hunt with him. And we set up on these two birds, and they were obviously older birds. Him Him and his dad had hunted them all season long pretty hard, birds that had a lot of pressure on them. And we set up on them. They only gobbled one time on the roost, and that's where that's how we knew where they were. And then they flew down into a small cow pasture. And immediately I said, those turkeys don't want to come this way because they flew the direct opposite way. And we hadn't we hadn't made a turkey sound yet. We hadn't called at them. Mm-hmm. And we immediately got up and moved around. The, the cow pasture made almost a U around this, this section of woods that we were in. And we moved around the U where we were around the bend from them, but we were pretty close. And we took out a Jake decoy and we set it out in the, in the field. And I, I knew how these birds have been treated all year and they've been called to pretty heavily and they had never responded well to it from what I had heard. And so Mm -hmm. I broke out one of my favorite diaphragm calls and I made five of the softest yelps I could where I knew they would barely hear me. Sweet talking. Yeah. Trying trying Uh to pique that interest. And both birds fired right back at me. I mean, you could tell they were gobbling straight back at us because, I mean, it it was loud. And, you know, I immediately just took that call out of my mouth and I put it on the ground next to me. I didn't even want to be tempted to make another sound. And it probably wasn't 10 minutes. And I looked over and here comes around the bend, two gobblers, both in full strut, no hens with them. I mean, it was perfect. Sunlight's hitting them in this green field. It, it was just beautiful. And they spotted that Jake decoy and both took out in a full run. And awesome. I mean, we we had to just cut them down while they were running into the decoy at about <laughs> 10 yards because I mean, they were just going to run us over. And they were both just awesome turkeys. They'd be what I like to call limb hangers. They had those hooks on them where you can hang them both up by the limbs. Oh, yeah. It was it was just unbelievable. And that's cool. Those are the kind of turkeys we all dream about at night, no doubt. Oh, yeah. But and I, just to have them basically run you over makes it even better. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'd say the, the main things that contributed to us actually getting those turkeys, because they, I'm telling you, they've been hunted hard all season and, and no one had had any success with them. But I think the, the main thing is we got where they were wanting to go. And then yep. I did something different that they hadn't heard all year is just called one time to them and I didn't keep pouring it on. And they right. they really liked that, and they got curious as to what was going on because that hen wasn't wanting them. And so they came running over there and saw that Jake, and, I mean, that really got them fired up. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's exciting. And to double up on a hunt like that with a buddy, too, is always something special. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we haven't gotten turkey hunt together since we were probably juniors in high school, and, and we got to do that. And it, it was just really special, just walking out of the woods with each of us having those big old gobblers over our shoulder. There's, there's nothing better than that, in my opinion. Well, maybe this season I can pry you away from the books, get you into the woods, and you and I can double up on a couple. Oh, my gosh. I, I would love that. All right. Well, 
Speaking of prying you away from the books, I'm doing that right now. So I'm going to turn you loose, let you get back at it. Happy birthday to you, and welcome aboard. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about it. Me too. And we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. All right. I'll see you later. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Well, since Cameron has already welcomed you to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast, we're going to jump right into this thing. You guys are listening to episode 70, Turkey Hunting and Gun Safety. And I am your host, not Cameron, the guy whose sinus infection led to pink eye. Actually, it led to pink eyes. I went to the dock Sunday, finally. My sinus infection, I felt like was getting better, but... My eyes Saturday started bothering me, and they were blood red. So the doctor gave me a shot of antibiotics in one butt cheek, a shot of steroids in the other butt cheek, prescribed me some antibiotics, gave me some eye drops for the pink eye, and here we are battling through. I am wearing my eyeglasses this week, which is very interesting because I can't see out of them. I wear contacts, and my eyeglasses are bad, so I'm like walking into doors and stuff like that around the house, and it works, so it's pretty interesting. But enough about being sick. I'm getting over this. I have to. There is no choice. I cannot wear eyeglasses when I go turkey hunting. And speaking of that, we are 19 days, 7 hours, 34 minutes, and 6 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. If you guys remember last week, I told you that I had a big announcement for you this week and you've already gotten it. That announcement is that we have added Cameron Weddington to the Turkey Hunter podcast family and that he's going to be helping me out going forward. If you guys need anything at all or just want to say hello, shoot him an email. I know he would love to hear from you. So welcome him to the family. And Cameron, thank you. I look forward to working with you. We have a long show today, so I'm going to be quick with my part here. Our guest on today's show is Blake Morris from the Nashville area. I met Blake in Nashville at the NWTF convention, and he shared a story with me that I really wanted you guys to hear. This story did not take place on a turkey hunt, but there are so many different ways that it could have. I try to fit the subjects of this show to the time of year that we're in, and now is the time of year to cover this subject because we are so close to the start of turkey season. So let's jump into this interview with Blake and listen in as he shares his story and his thoughts about what we can all learn from it. Enjoy, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me tonight Blake Morris from Nashville, Tennessee, and, well, the Nashville area. And Blake is on today to share a story with us about a hunting trip that he went on a couple of years ago. And I met Blake at the NWTF convention a couple of weekends ago. And he and I were actually at the Derby City Game Calls booth. We're looking at turkey calls, and I was talking to the owner of Derby City Calls, Jeff, and Blake looks over at me and he says, Andy? And I looked at him and I thought, I don't know you. And he said, <laughs> and he said, hey, I'm Blake. I listen to the show. And I said, oh, that's how you recognize my voice. And it was funny because it didn't occur to me that people were going to recognize me by my voice. And in fact, Blake, you were the first one to do that to me. So it really threw me a curveball. But I'm glad you stopped me and yep. introduced yourself to me. And I really appreciate that. But I also appreciate you sharing your story with me while we were there. And so I want to thank you for taking time to do that. Thank you for taking time to come on the show and agreeing to share the story with all of us on the show. And welcome. Thanks, Andy. Absolutely. It was uh, nice meeting you at the show and nice meeting your wife as well. was actually admiring some calls next to her and heard your voice and it was kind of a coincidence. But appreciate all you've done too through the podcast because I've learned a lot from you and your guests. So it's an honor and privilege to be on the show. Well, thank you. We're, I'm glad to have you. And uh, yeah, you met the better half of <laughs> the people in my household, I will tell you that. So, Well, she has a, yeah. a great eye for a good call. She was looking at those high-dollar calls there at the Derby City. She was, and they were beautiful, too. They were. You know, some burl, maple, absolutely gorgeous calls. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed there might be one of those in my stocking come <laughs> Christmas time, but I don't know. She played it off pretty well if she did get one because they were kind of like, you know, I'd like one of these for Christmas, and she was like, <laughs> so I don't I don't have much faith in the fact that I'll have one, but you never know. So Blake, 
How are you today and where are you? I'm great. I'm actually in Nashville at my office, probably five miles as the crow flies from where the NWTF convention was held here in Nashville. So I'm doing well. Good deal. Good deal. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Because you've hunted for a long time, but you picked up turkey hunting not too long ago. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, my dad, I uh, was probably the age of 13 or 14, bought me my first shotgun, the Remington 870, and bought a couple for my uh, brothers as well. And we all went and went to our first hunting, hunter safety course and tried to get a, an idea of what we should and shouldn't be doing. And from there, we were at the trap range on some Thursday nights and on the weekends learning to shoot those guns. And from there, it went out to the fields. We were living in the Chicago area at that time, and kind of the only thing that we had access to at that moment was bird hunting. I remember walking as a teenager, we'd walk fence lines. I'm talking miles and miles of fence lines in central Illinois. And and you may see two rooster pheasants fly up at the end of a fence row 300 yards ahead of you at the end of the day and call that a success. Yeah, and that's kind of where I got into it. Now that Andy too was before we even we had a lab at home. We would never knew it was a hunting dog. <laughs> Didn't figure out <laughs> we had a hunting dog at home either until we actually put him in the field. So my dad was new to the the hunting thing, and we all kind of learned uh, as a group coming up. And that's kind of what started the started my love for hunting is just hanging out with my my family and friends and you know bird hunting and and getting to know everybody and just developing a love for being outdoors. So that's yeah. where I where I got my feet wet, if you will, in the hunting realm of things. And you know, as you, as a hunter, you start with one thing, and you're like, "Ooh, that looks fun too." And as you get older, and you have more access to hunting land, and you say, "Oh, I want to try that. I want to try that." And turkey just turkey hunting just happened to be one of the things that I you know had access to later in life, and mm-hmm. I got my feet wet with that later on. So, but yeah, I grew up mostly upland bird hunting. Every Thanksgiving, we had a tradition in our family to, we all go out to a different outfitter and spend Thanksgiving out, out west somewhere where we oh, could cool. uh, really get into, uh, you know, some of the South Dakota and Kansas areas, get into the real pheasant hunting out there. Yeah. So that yeah. that was always a trip. And, you know, we, as we got older, got married, had kids, <laughs> the, the family hunting trip kind of switched over to being a guy's trip oh, yeah. every every winter. So as I know you take a trip or two turkey hunting every, every year with your friends. And kind of the same with us, with family and friends. We just get the guys together. The hardest thing is deciding on a weekend everybody can make it. And uh, mm-hmm. we make the trip out west and doesn't hunt for three or four days and then make the jump back. Yeah. Do you guys usually go to the same outfitter or you kind of mix it up a little bit and try different places? Kind of, if we find some place we like, we we tend to stay with one outfitter. Has been in the past, so uh, I don't know. We've been going out to Tipton, Kansas, for I don't know. It's probably been a good four or five years now. And so Tipton is in north central Kansas, out in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, is what I like to call it. But that's the that's the best hunting <laughs> when you're away from that's all right. from all the rigmarole of of lights and cell phones and cell phone towers. That's the best place to hunt, if you ask me. Oh yeah, those trips always cause me a good amount of stress before I get there because it's the whole freaking out thing from being away from work and being disconnected. And then once I'm there, I'm like, man, this is the life. Absolutely. I, I think I can just leave the phone and just pick this up and not have to worry with the worries. Absolutely. So, so many of those things we bring upon ourselves. So at the NWTF show, you shared with me a hunting story that I want you to share with all the listeners. And you were gracious enough to offer to share the story when, you know, Blake, I think there's a lot of people out there who would not, not only have not offered to share the story with me, but especially not have offered to share the story with everyone else, with all the listeners to this show. But you offered to do that, and I'm grateful for that. And I think that your story has a lot to it that we can all learn. And I'd like for you to share that story with us now, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that we take a a trip out west to Kansas. Usually it's a guy's trip once a year. And so in 2012, we made that trip out to Tipton, Kansas. There were four of us. And at that time, my I was living in Nashville, and the the three we had three coming from Texas, so I was the only one coming from the Nashville area. My drive is about 12 hours from here in Nashville, so yeah, it's a typical pheasant hunting guys trip. You go out there and you're gonna hunt, and then you're gonna have fun, you know, 
right. at the outfitter's place afterwards, you know, kick back, you know, grill out or, you know, if they're cooking for you, you're going to, you're going to do nothing but eat, kick back and socialize for the most part. And yeah, so that's the fun of it. The other fun of it is having dogs with you. We used to hunt with, I've got two labs at home. So I packed up the dogs and made my trip out west and we hunted for, we were hunting three days that trip with a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We had hunted Friday and Saturday and had a, a great time. And so there's always the dreaded talk of, all right, when's everybody heading back after we're done hunting? And so we had decided that morning that we were going to hunt Sunday morning, and then we're all going to make our trips back to home right after the hunt. So that Sunday morning, you know, we packed up our cars and in preparation to hunt, be on the road by noon was was the goal. And we decided to see what we could do about getting in and out of the field and not kind of messing around and, and doing all that stuff. So we, there was a kind of an urgency to, you know, let's get our birds and, and get out, you know, type thing. Right. So, so the people I were hunting with were my youngest brother, Ryan. Ryan had brought a coworker with him named John, and my dad was with me. And John and I, uh, my brother's friend, had been talking, and we I carry a 20-gauge over-under in the field. It's really light. It's not one of those big, heavy guns you have to tote all over. And John had been admiring my, the 20-gauge because he had the 12-gauge kind of just like it. He's, he was wondering, you know, what that felt like to shoot. And so I offered to switch with him that morning before we went out in the field. And, you know, he kind of told me he had some shells that he wanted to try out in his gun first. And so I acknowledged that. We kind of went out to that first field. And like I said, I hunt with two dogs. And I don't know how many of the listeners have, have bird hunted before, but you, know, you push through a, a cornfield or a milo field, and so somebody walked through the middle, and, and we had a couple of wings. And then our fourth person, my brother, was at the end of the field, making sure the birds aren't running out of the field. Right. And so that morning we started off hunting, and that first field we got into where birds were everywhere. And the first three birds flushed to John's side. John happened to be on the right wing, and I was on the left wing. And he was dropping those birds left and right with one shot. And I'm like, man, he needs to try this 20-gauge. I'm going to slow him down with my 20-gauge. And after he dropped that first bird, I'm like, man, I need, to, I need we need to switch. You know, the, my ego and just having fun out there, just like, hey, buddy, it's time to switch now. We're going to slow you down, you know, that type of thing. And so I went over and gave John my 20-gauge, and I took his 12-gauge. Well, here's where I made my first mistake that day is that he gave me some of his shells. I gave him some of my shells, and I, I put some of the 12-gauge shells in my pocket along with my 20-gauge shells I still had left. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to the left wing, and we're still in that first field, and birds are busting again. And I took a shot with that 12-gauge. And I was I was kind of put back on my heels a little bit because that, that sucker kicked a lot more than my 20-gauge kick. And I yeah. remember seeing the, a bird drop over by John again, over by the right wing. And my dog, my chocolate lab, Rick, was, he was after it. He, he was flying after it to go on the retrieve. And on his way to retrieve, there were birds flushing everywhere. My other dog at that point was chasing birds off to my, other, my left. And she was flushing birds. And it was just chaos. And, you know, we're, at this point, you know, we're trying to keep the dogs in, in range to where they're not flushing birds ahead of us. And we want right. them to flush close to us so we have a shot at them. And so, but at the same time, I'm still distracted by how much that gun had kicked and trying to call my dog back. It's run off to my left and calling the, the one that was bringing back the down bird. So it was kind of a little bit of chaos and a little bit kind of a excitement of shooting that gun that just, you know, busted me on my shoulder a little bit. And so at some point, which I have no recollection of, I broke that gun open and grabbed a 20-gauge shell out of my pocket and loaded that gun with a 20-gauge shell. And if you think about it, and if, I'm, if I have thought about it millions of times, as I'm sure you, you, know, you can think about if you've been through a hunting accident, but that gun was set up just like mine. It broke open the same way as mine. And my best yeah. guess is that in all that action of birds flying everywhere, my dogs are going two different directions, my mind took over and just out of habit, just reloaded that gun like I had probably 100 times that weekend. Just out of habit, reach out in the pocket, grab a shell, throw it in the gun, reload, make sure that I have shells in the gun to be able to shoot the bird. So the gun was closed. I finally get my dog back to me. He's got the bird. I get the bird and put it in my pouch. And, you know, after you shoot a bird, you know, everybody kind of stops and regathers, make sure their gun's loaded, make sure the dogs are close. And I broke the gun open again, and I realized that I didn't see a shell down in that bottom barrel. And mm-hmm. at that point, I was like, well, I need to make sure I reach down and put a 12-gauge shell in, in the gun. And I loaded a 12-gauge shell on top of that 20-gauge shell that I didn't realize had fallen down in. That I had, One, I didn't realize I had loaded into the gun. And two, I didn't realize right. I had the capabilities of, of dropping down in, into the barrel. 
So I remember specifically that day when I took those shells from John saying, man, I got to be really careful because, you know, I'm mixing shells in my, in my pocket and I really got to pay attention. And at that point I was really paying attention. I realized I had a 12 gauge and a 12 gauge um, Mm -hmm. shell in top and bottom barrel. Well, I, I closed the barrel, of course, and I said, looked at everybody, and everybody was in the right position, and we were ready to go. I said, let's go, and we went, and that next bird flushed up, and I remember firing the gun, and I remember that gun right after I fired it flying out of my hand, and my, my ears were ringing, and I looked down in my left hand and uh, saw a bunch of trauma around the area of my thumb. And I was wearing gloves that day, but my glove had a hole in it. All I could see was a little bit of bone remaining where my thumb had been. Mm. So my first instinct was applying pressure with my other hand and kind of just gathering myself. You know, a lot of people ask me, was I in shock? Well, if I was, it wasn't for long because I knew the people I was hunting with weren't very experienced in the medical field, if you will. You know, I myself work in the medical field and have have seen some injuries and seen some things where, you know, I could kind of know well enough what to do in the field. And I knew my dad, as soon as he saw that, was going (laughs) to... I was lucky if he was going to be standing, yeah. Yeah. And so my first instinct was put your, you know, put your hand over it and then collect yourself. And then, you know, I went and told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm hurt bad. And from there, my dad was, you know, kind of directing traffic at that point. We had a a golf cart that we used to to go out in the fields and kind of used to kind of shuttle people back and forth. Mm -hmm. And he put me in that golf cart and sped me back to the well, they've got a little bit of a, a lodge or a little hunting club area where they, they feed their hunters, where the outfitter does. And we ran back to find Larry, who's the, the farm owner and the, the outfitter, and we knew we would need directions to the emergency room. So we got Larry and told him what had happened. At this point, you know, people were asking me how much of pain I was having in my in my thumb. And the only thing I could describe is if, if you've ever broken a bone, that's, it was a throbbing, aching pain. Yeah. And I was still able to walk. I was still able to think clearly, but it was it was you know hurting pretty good. And so we got Larry, and I uh, at the time had, I owned a uh, minivan and used my minivan to take the dogs and throw all my stuff in and drive from from Nashville out there. And so my dad was that was the dearest thing that was out front. And uh, dad put me in my minivan in the passenger side, and he I had already had my luggage and all the stuff set up for the dogs to ride in the middle of the van. So the only place for Larry and the outfitter to ride was in the back. So they had popped the back hatch on the minivan, and he rode from yeah. the very back of the minivan and, and gave us directions. Well, it was, it was 30 minutes ride to the nearest emergency room. Wow. And so dad had put me in that front seat, and he started hauling out on this these dirt roads in what I'm, you know, in Tipton, Kansas, and there we, we took off. And <laughs> my dad will tell you today, he had that minivan up over 100 miles an hour on a dirt road. And I all I could think of clearly at that point was, can I get my seatbelt on? Can somebody put my seatbelt on? And dad at that point was telling me, no. He said, he said you're going to be fine. I'm like, well, what about the deer we saw as we drove into the to the farm this morning? I said, he goes, oh, they're all bedded down. Well, sure enough, we come up over a hill and we hit a hawk. <laughs> and hit right and smack dab in the middle of the of the windshield and, and over the next hill there were there were three does right off the in the ditch off the road. I'm like, man, I said <laughs> that's when I was really starting to fear for my life. I was like, we're gonna die on the way to the hospital. <laughs> you, you you were more more afraid of for your life on the ride than you were right. shooting your thumb off. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was a that thirty minute ride was probably a you know a twenty minute ride at a hundred plus miles an hour uh, on a dirt road, but uh, we made it into the the little emergency room there, and the nurses knew that we were coming. Somebody I think from the the outfitter had called ahead and told them that we were on our way, and so they were they were ready for us when they got there. And the first thing I remember the nurse telling me, she was like, "Well, you're in, you're in good hands as a as an ER doctor had had a hunting accident and had shot himself crossing a fence." back in the day wow. and I'm like oh wow so anyway they got me in there and started getting me taken care of and you know my dad's a wreck and asking me you know what he wanted to do about calling my wife and I was making sure I was like well I said I really feel more comfortable if you sat down because I said I sure don't want you calling her I'll call her myself because <laughs> he was yeah. a wreck but uh, we had been in that in that emergency room probably 20 30 minutes and then dad finally realized that he had left Larry the outfitter back locked in the back of that van <laughs> <laughs> So 
mean, chaos to chaos. I mean, there's plenty of lessons to learn with my story. And, you know, it's there's funny parts of my story. And I can look back and I'm blessed enough to be able to laugh about it with my family members now. And that is one of the things that, you know, Larry the Outfitter felt so bad. But we still laugh about it to this day of leaving him locked in that van out there (laughs) at the emergency room. So I'm I'm sure he felt more bad about you and your accident than you feel about leaving him locked in the minivan. But yeah, at least it wasn't the dog days of summer because you might have gotten a a charge for Larry abuse for leaving him locked in the unventilated vehicle. Absolutely. So how much of your thumb was injured? Yeah. So if you that's a yeah good question. So if you look at your thumb and you were to count your first knuckle down to your second knuckle, I lost all of my thumb down to my second knuckle. Yeah. So if you were to look at my thumb now, they were kind of able to. What I have is part of that second knuckle is kind of what I use as a stump to kind of grab to right now. My coincidentally, you know, when I looked down, all I could see was a big hole in my hand. And I'm like, man, I blew my thumb to shreds, you know, that type of thing. And I got to the emergency room and about 30 minutes later, my brother and and John showed up and they had actually found my thumb in the field. And it looked like somebody had just taken a cleaver to it and and chopped it right off. And so it had actually, they weren't able to reattach my thumb because it actually had pulled my nerve and tendons from about, I don't know, four or five inches up my arm, just pulled it straight out. Holy so, cow. So that's why I wasn't they weren't able to, to save any part of the thumb. But yeah. you know, at that point I was just surprised that one, my thumb was still had been, you know, you know, blown to pieces and, and the second my <laughs> my brother was able to find it and pick it up without passing out. Yeah. Yeah. And so you sent me pictures of your thumb kind of I'm not even going to say halfway through your recovery because it wasn't. It was, you said, after your second surgery. So I'll get into that in just a minute. But you also sent me pictures of the gun. Mm-hmm. And describe where, describe what happened to the gun and, and, you know, really paint a picture for everybody listening as to where your hand is on this gun and how this happened. Yeah. So, like I said, it was a over-under 12-gauge, beautiful stock on the gun, beautiful forearm at one time. So if you imagine that the explosion of the gun, when I loaded a 20-gauge, it dropped into the barrel. I bet it dropped down, I don't know, three or four inches down into the barrel and, and got caught up. And then loading a 12-gauge on top of that is going to you know, make that 20-gauge shell explode. It's got to go somewhere because it's not going to go out the end of the barrel. So what happened is that it exploded out the left-hand side of that gun, and it made a hole uh, probably three or four inches, and it opened up that barrel like it was a, you know, just like a tin can. Yeah. And when it came out, it took my thumb where I had been grabbing. If you imagine somebody right-handed, you're going to hold the forearm with your left hand, and your left thumb is going to wrap around that left side of that forearm. Yeah. So that that explosion came out. It splintered the forearm to pieces. We didn't find too many large-sized pieces of the uh, forearm, but there there were some, and it took my thumb with it. So the, the fortunate thing that happened that day with my with the accident was that it was the left side of the gun. It was my left hand. It was only my thumb. I'm a right-handed person. And more importantly, I was on the left hand. I was the left wing that day. I mean, if they had come out the right-hand, oh, wow, side, of the yeah. right-hand side of that gun, it would have been over towards my dad. Yeah. And worse, could have come back in my face. Uh, you, know, you know, you hear all kinds of, of hunting accidents now. You know, I've been through one. I hear them all the time. I hear hunting stories all the time about people coming back in their face and losing the yeah. eyesight. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I was very fortunate from that standpoint that it, it only took my thumb because it could have, I mean, it could have taken my life. You're exactly right. You're very blessed. And you think about that gun being up against your shoulder and your face being on it and you're right. You you could not be here today. Right. So, you know, as as bad as it is to lose a thumb or lose anything like that, you you could have lost so much more. So, you know, you're very fortunate in that respect. And, you know, we could we could talk about this accident for hours. I know I could pick your brain apart on this accident. But this is what I want to get across to the listeners is when I first heard Blake's story, to me, it was a real wake-up call because I've been hunting my whole life. I've been around guns my whole life. And I kind of equate that to a construction worker. Let's say it's a framer. A framer's been around hammer and nails and nail guns and ladders his whole life. And it becomes another appendage. You know, it becomes part of you. You just get used to holding a gun. And 
I have noticed at times where I've been too comfortable with a gun and not shown that gun the respect that it needs to be shown. It is a tool, but it takes a split second. And just like what Blake went through, a split second of chaos with birds flying and dogs running. And, you know, I'm sure there's a whole lot of excitement in the air because there's birds coming up everywhere and there's people shooting. And it wouldn't have crossed my mind. And I know it didn't yours at the time, Blake, because you grabbed that 20-gauge shell. But it wouldn't have crossed my mind to stop and look before I loaded that gun. And it's just something that just instinctively you do. You break open the gun, you throw shells in there, pop it back in, and, and you get ready for your next shot. Well, you know, it, it just takes that split second where we let our guard down and maybe we're not as cautious as we would be in normal circumstances for something like this to happen. And like I said, when we started the interview, I appreciate you coming on to share this because we all need a reminder and I want this to be everyone's reminder before, number one, they get out with their turkey gun to go to the range and sight it in and pattern it. Maybe it's new shells, maybe it's a new choke or whatever they're going to do. I want them to be very cautious and pay attention to all this. But number two, turkey season's right around the corner. And there are things that we need to be cautious of when we're out there with these guns while we're turkey hunting. And so even though your accident was something that happened on an upland bird hunt, there's still a lot of similarities between that and turkey hunting because you're still dealing with guns. After your accident, what are you more cautious of? What are a few gun safety tips that you took away from that accident that you want to share with us? And how how do you think some of those tips would apply to us turkey hunters? Well, Andy, I've, you know, I, I can share tons of safety tips. I mean, absolutely tons just from my story alone and what I was doing. And the first thing I can tell you is that morning, you know, my, me personally, I was, all I could think about was keep the dogs close. We need to get out of here by noon. Mm-hmm. And then all the birds started flying. It was chaos. And, and you know, I, I tell everybody now is slow down. Don't just, yeah. I mean, slow down. I mean, hunting, you're out there to enjoy things. You know, the thing that was you know, in my mind constantly was keep the dogs in. Let's make sure we get all these birds. And, you know, as I think about it, too, is is you kind of touched on it briefly, but, you know, we have habits as hunters. You know, we've been, a lot of us have been doing this a long time. You, you mean, how long have you owned your, you know, oldest gun and how long have you been shooting it? I mean, it is like a, a second you know, or third appendage. Everybody has their favorite gun and everybody has, is comfortable with it. And so as I've thought about this, hundreds of times, you know, the one thing I can think back and look at, and you know, I was a psycholo- psychology major too in college, so forgive me if I'm getting into the psychology of things, but the subconscious of your mind kind of takes over in habits. And yeah. just like I reached down in my pocket and grabbed my, my shell that day, that 20-gauge shell, that was just a habit. I was reaching down in there, and it just happened to be a 20-gauge shell that I, I picked up with my hand versus the correct 12-gauge shell. You know, we're talking, and I remember taking that hunter safety course many years ago, and it was one of the things they teach you not to do. You don't mix your shells. Don't you mix know, shells. You yeah. Don't do it. And turkey hunters, we don't have that much of an opportunity to do that because we're usually we're just shooting with one gun and, and that's it. But what I can tell you is a lot of us have other, you know, got, some of us go to the pistol range and you may bring your 45 and your 40 Smith and Wesson out there and, and you put the two clips next to each other and reload and who knows what gets mixed up in what. So the safety rules are there to protect you for the times of chaos. And when those birds are flying, and I was trying to keep two different dogs close to me and, and watch what where birds are going and multitasking. And there is no such thing as multitasking because you can only focus on one thing at a time. And that's yeah. what, if I could give anybody any tip, it would be focus on safety first. That I mean, the yeah. birds will still be there. <laughs> the, you know, your dogs will, they'll run off, but they'll be back. <laughs> And right. at the end of the day, all you have is yourself and your, your friends and family next to you that are hunting and safety first. Get out of the field in a safe fashion. And that, that's what I mean by slowing down is everybody has heard the safety rules. And, of course, nobody likes to talk about it until there's a traumatic story that's involved with it. And how many times during a, a hunt does the hunting group get together and say, okay, let's talk about safety? And, and usually it's not something that anybody wants to talk about. So yeah. that's why you know that's why I approached you and and want to tell my story is because safety isn't something that even at work you know somebody brings up safety at work is like oh boy we have to go through the safety meeting right well, I mean it's out there for a reason and it doesn't become important until it, it hits home with you personally 
And yeah. what I would strive to tell you is we've all heard the safety talks. We've all heard what we should be doing in, in the field, whether it be in, in pheasant hunting or turkey hunting or out at the gun range or wherever you are, cleaning your gun at home. Everybody knows what they should be doing. Don't take shortcuts. Just slow yeah. down and, and do what you need to do um, to be, be sure you're safe and the gun is unloaded or you're pointing the gun in, in, the, right, in the right way. But I can tell you, Firsthand experience, the, the, the toughest thing was not my injury and not losing my thumb. The toughest thing is, is was ruining that hunt that day and seeing the, the look of terror on my dad's face when I, you know, I told him what had happened. And, and just yeah. to, to think about the anxiety that even for him, somebody, you know, his own son, he got involved in hunting, you know, at a young age. And we spent all those big times in the field. And you don't want to ruin somebody's, quote, happy place in their mind because my happy right. place has been in the fields in Kansas hunting. You know, a lot of people, you know, you may ask your wife or she may tell you differently, you know, it's at the beach or wherever. Everybody has their happy place. And for most of it's turkey hunting or, or being out in the field and just hearing silent and not having a cell phone on you. And that's the big thing I'll take away from this. It's not my injury. It's it's protecting the hunt and the, the hobby of hunting and being out there with the guys because there's a lot of a lot of things that can do to mess up. I, I worried whether anybody would want to go hunting after that ever again. I mean, yeah. After being in a traumatic situation like that, my brother picked up my thumb. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure right. there was a, a few nightmares that he had following that. I mean, that's nothing that nobody should ever have to do. So slow down and don't let that happen. You know, I can live without the thumb, and I've adjusted really well to it. And I'm, but that's what I, I will tell people is don't ruin it for others. It's easier to deal with it yourself, but when it comes to the people in your, in your hunting party that have been involved in that hunting story, it's, it's, it's traumatic for them as well. Yeah. And I can imagine you knew that, yes, you were in pain. Yes, things were not going to be the same going forward for you that they were, you know, even an hour earlier. But you knew that you ultimately were going to be okay. But your dad's looking at this going, this is the end. I mean, I can just imagine he's sitting there, what's running through his mind, you know, having to go through all that with you. And yeah, I can I could see where that would have an, a long-lasting effect on everybody that was with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a very good point that you brought up about no matter where you are, whether it's the range or whatever you're doing, you know, we always, not always, but most of the time you go to the range and you take more than one gun. You don't typically you don't go to the range every day or every week. Some people do, but most of us don't. So when we go, we want to shoot more than one gun. Right. And pay attention to what's going on and slow down and especially when you're in the field and it's important too because we do hunt with other people a lot of times to watch what they're doing Absolutely. because when you're crossing that fence and your hunting buddy that you've hunted with for 10 or 15 years doesn't unload his gun before he goes across the fence it's a perfect time to say hey did you unload your gun and you don't get all preachy, but you can certainly ask the question and get that person to stop and slow down for a second and unload the gun. What does it take to unload a shotgun before you cross a fence? Five seconds? I'd lose five seconds to save a life or an appendage or any kind of accident from happening. It would totally be worth that. It is totally worth that. So, yeah, I think that is a big key for, for all of us. You know, let's slow down and let's still be cognizant of the fact that what we have in our hands while we're out hunting is a killing machine. One of its purposes is to kill, and it will do that, and it doesn't care what it kills because it has no brain. We're in control of that thing, and we need to act like we're in control of it, and we need, need to be respectful of it. And, you know, I think that we do. I catch myself from time to time not being mindful of that and not being respectful of that tool that we have. Absolutely. The other thing I will tell you is as a turkey hunter, we've got, you know, a lot of these, a lot of us use these vests that have about 80 pockets in them. Mm -hmm. How many, how many of us listeners or not hunters out there carry a first aid kit with us? Yeah, I'm probably not many. Right. You know, you don't necessarily need a first aid kit, but what I stress here is that we're prepared for the turkey hunt. My question though is, are you prepared if something goes wrong? Do you have a plan in place? And that day, I can tell you, I really would have appreciated him stopping and putting my seatbelt on because things can go wrong in chaos. I mean, it was hard enough for him to see what was going on, and I don't expect him to be in clear mind, my dad being in clear mind and and stopping and putting the seatbelt on me, but all he can think about is get me to the hospital. But, you know, I tell you this, 
to tell everybody this is, is to have a kind of a plan in the back of your head of what you're going to do if something goes wrong. I mean, like I mentioned before, where we're hunting, a lot of times there's not cell phone coverage. And you may mm-hmm. be a 30, to, 30 minutes to an hour away from the nearest emergency room. So, you know, if we are hunting with, with somebody else, I mean, it makes it that much more important to, like you said, know, are you, you, you're going to load it? You know, a lot of people, you know, you had mentioned too before in previous podcasts too, this, this turkey reaping and the stalking with the turkey fan is a, is a big thing in, in turkey hunting right now. And is it something to, to, to really look at and do a risk evaluation on? Do you, is it really worth going out there and acting like a turkey in the middle of the field to get close yeah. to those, those birds? And for some, you may be able to look at things and say, yes, it's okay, and then that's fine. That's everybody's choice, but all I ask is that you think about it and you think about where you're going to be doing it, and you're going to, you're going to be thinking about what, what you're going to do if something goes wrong because, you know, you, it's one thing to trust yourself and to know what's going on, on you know, there in your immediate area, but who knows who's going to walk in at any time to your hunting area and see a big fan out in the middle of the, of the field and, and think, you know, the adrenaline starts flowing and they – when when the adrenaline starts flowing, people just uh, it's just hurry up and go shoot that thing. And they and most hunting accidents, if you read, are due to to lack of judgment in the in the hunting fields. And yeah. a lot of that is driven by you know the blood gets pumping and you get excited and, and we we start not using our brains and thinking about things. And I just ask everybody to just to think about you know just look at what's going on around you and and what if something were to to happen. Yeah. You know, that I think that's great advice. Before I move on to the next question, I think that's excellent advice. And it wasn't until about, I'd say, six or seven years ago that we at our hunting camp, and I can't even say we, that one guy at our hunting camp actually had the presence of mind to call and get our E911 address. Because if you could see this place, if I could drop a pin on this place on the map and send it to you, it is in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. And 30 minutes, any direction from any kind of a medical center, 45 minutes away from the nearest, and I'm putting this in air quotes, hospital. is nowhere I would want to go unless my life was in danger, I'd put it, put it that way. And then two hours to Birmingham to a good medical hospital. But we hunted this place for almost 20 years without knowing what our E911 address was and without looking to see where the medical helicopter pickup point is uh-huh. in case of an emergency. And those are things that we don't want to have to think of, but we better know when that time rolls around and we need it. So for you guys that haven't bothered to look to see where the nearest you know, heliport, whatever you want to call it, for the medical is near your hunting land, stop and, and make a few phone calls and figure that out. You never know when you need it, and you do want to know that information when the time rolls around that you do have to have it. So do you have any other tips from your turkey hunts just in how people handle guns and maybe some things that you've seen people do? And, you know, again, I don't want to get so preachy with this because almost all of us have been through the hunter's ed course. Almost all of us have had guns in our hands forever and ever. We were taught by our fathers or uncles or mothers or the game warden at the hunter's ed course, or maybe it was a firearm safety course, maybe it was at high school, whatever it was. We've all been taught these safety rules, but I still see people that I hunt with making mistakes and being more concerned about making it between the second and third strand of barbed wire and a barbed wire fence than where they're pointing their gun while they're climbing through that barbed wire fence. What? Just run through some of those basics for us real quick, and it'll be a good reminder for us before we go into the woods of let's not only pay attention to us, let's pay attention to our hunting buddies, let's pay attention to our kids, and let's stop them for a five-second conversation of be careful where you're pointing your gun. Anything along those lines, it may make them a little bit more cognizant of what they're doing. Right. So you've had Josh Carney on, and I just mentioned briefly that most hunting accidents are a lack of a judgment call. And, and, and what I'm trying to get to is know your target, first and foremost. And I talked about it with, you know, just with the mm-hmm. turkey reaping is know your target. You know, we're out there in camo. 
you're acting like a turkey to try to get other turkeys into you. You're <laughs> attract another turkey yeah. hunter. You are. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. And if you if you've been hunting on your land for you know 20 years and you've never had a trespasser come onto your land, well, good for you. You're probably about the only one that hasn't. Because I know plenty of people that have had other people walking onto their property. You know, they hear the bird, and it doesn't matter what boundaries what they're crossing over, and they're going they're going to come onto your land. And all yeah. I can say is be prepared for that. And that's what's going to happen. And and likewise, you just you never know who's or what is going to be on there. So you've got to know your target, and don't point your your gun barrel at anything you're not ready to to kill. Yeah. And talking about know your target and what you're getting ready to pull the trigger on, but that also means don't when you're walking in with your buddy. I mean, if you're walking in single file, you know, I would be pointing it down at the ground in front of me because he's walking, you know, two steps ahead of you. You're gonna take his ankles off. I mean, put that yeah. gun over your shoulder, back behind your up in the air. And, you yeah. know, that's one thing, and you, you touched on it, too, is unload your gun when you're not using it. And that means crossing those fences. And that, doesn't, and that may mean, you know, you're crossing a creek that's slippery, and don't be crossing something that you're bound to end up in the middle of and, and lose your footing and then and, and end up in the wet yeah. and shooting shoot your gun. And yeah. it, it's being smart with your gun and slowing down. And I, I, I've touched on that briefly earlier is slow down. I mean, that. You're not gonna outrun a turkey. Five seconds isn't gonna, you know, to unload that gun is not is not gonna save you from getting a bird. I mean, literally. Right. I mean, imagine just put things into perspective. What that not unloading your gun can do. That's what all hunters need to do is put things in perspective and yeah. slow down and think about what could result from not taking the extra five seconds to do these things. Yeah. What I see a lot of people do is not unload a gun before it goes into the vehicle. Oh. And yeah, that's one that drives me crazy. If you've got to stop in the middle of the road, jump out, grab your shotgun and shoot a turkey standing in the middle of the road with the loaded gun. Okay, but unload it. If he's going to stand there and wait on you to to slam on the brakes, <laughs> grab your gun, jump out of the vehicle and shoot at him, then he'll stick around for another second and let you load it. Unload the gun. I mean, there's so many stories of people shooting the floorboard of their truck or shooting out the windshield or one of the windows in their vehicle because the guns bounced around or their hunting partner that's sitting in the passenger seat didn't know it was loaded and went to grab it to hand it to someone and grab the trigger. And so just don't set yourself up for an accident. Yeah, and a lot of things, and it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to let your adrenaline get the best of you. And if you don't think about these things ahead of time, you can't prepare for when that adrenaline comes. You really can't. That's what happened with my accident. The birds were flying. The dogs were going in three different directions. Everybody's yelling at different places, bird flying there, bird flying there. And it's distraction. It's adrenaline. And your focus is no longer safety one. It's it's trying and do five different things at once. And so yeah. safety habits need to be habits. You need to do them every time. And if you're not doing them every time, your your subconscious can't take over it when it needs to, and it needs to know those habits. And when you're driving down the road and you're on the on your cell phone, you're distracted because the only thing you're really paying attention to is your conversation you're having on the phone. I mean, mm-hmm. you get to your destination, you look back and like you don't remember to hit the pedal, you don't remember hitting the brakes or steering the steering wheel, or turning on your turn signal. It's not automatic anymore. It's the way safety needs to be. Safety needs to be automatic. And if you're not doing it every time, you're not helping yourself out. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. How long after your accident did it take you to go back to the woods with a gun in your hand? Oh, so my my accident happened on the 2nd of December, and I went to Texas for Christmas. That's my folks. And my dad had a lease down there at that time, and I was walking around with a a gun in my hand, not expecting to shoot anything. We were kind of just looking for hogs. And at that time, I had a bandage on my hand. Didn't expect we didn't really see anything, and I wasn't even expecting to pull the trigger. I was just out there being a part of the group. So before I was truly in the woods, ready to go again, was April of the next year. So it was five months. Yeah, and that was for turkey season. You have a pretty good hunting story about the first time you fired a gun after your accident, yeah. don't you? Yeah. So you want to share that like, with us? Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast is that turkey hunting wasn't high on my priority list until later in life. And before my accident, I had only shot a couple of jakes, never had the opportunity of calling in a tom close enough to, to harvest in the tom. And so 
spring turkey season comes here in Tennessee, and my brother had decided he was going and called me up to see if I wanted to go with him, and of course I did. And, you know, was, did I have second thoughts about picking up a gun and actually being ready to shoot? Absolutely. Was I sleepless that night beforehand? Probably, yeah. And there's a lot of anxiety that comes along with pulling that trigger again. And can I really trust myself to do the right things and to, you know, that thing not to explode on me? I thought about it and, you know, there was anxiety there. Absolutely. But I figured I needed to get back on the horse. And because, you know, like I mentioned, that hunting is is a happy place for me. And I didn't want it to, my accident to get the best of me. And um, that's something that I've done for many years and something I wanted to pass on to my two sons at home. And so it was time to get back on the horse, if you will. And we go out that morning and my brother and I were, we're not hunting on a, a large property. It's probably only, you know, 100, 120 acres would be my guess. And so we weren't going to do any run and gunning. We were just going to find our spots, yeah. going to be separate over our property. And so I sat there that morning and gobbling all around, like what they always are on that, that morning. And after about, you know, 30, 45 minutes after sunup, I hear a shot, and my brother had shot a bird, shot a tom, and I was like, awesome. I was like, at least we're not leaving empty-handed. And so I was sitting on a fence line and, and had some jakes come in fairly close to me and decided that wasn't the morning to, to be shooting a, a jake that I wanted to hold off for a tom, especially after my brother had already shot one. So my brother had actually texted me and said that he had, that spot that he had shot the tom in, was he felt pretty strong area and that uh, maybe I should move over and hunt with him. He could maybe help me call and um, I would shoot. So. I moved over to him across the other side of the property, and we were sitting along a a fence line with a a grass field out in front of us. And this field is probably, I don't know, 100 100 yards to my left and right, and then 40 yards across to the next tree line. And so we sat there, and um, my brother would call every 20 or 30 minutes. No, No gobbles, nothing. And we probably sat there for an hour and a half doing that and sat on the hard, muddy ground, and they had just stopped gobbling. We were So we were kind of growing, you know, impatient and trying to figure out what we were going to do and at the same time be quiet still at the same time. And before long, I look over to my left and about probably 70 yards up to my left, I see a Tom coming. He's strutting red and purple head coming our way. And we had a couple of decoys into our, you know, out front. And so he had, he had not gobbled once and he just showed up out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, look, look over there. And, and he's like, oh yeah. And so he starts purring and a couple of clucks and just kind of just inviting him in. And that Tom just started like somebody rolled out the red carpet, just strutted right down that red carpet. And of course, here I am, you know, I've got the turkey shakes. And you combine the turkey shakes with all the anxiety over, I'm going to pull that trigger again. It was something I'll never forget. I mean, all of that anxiety and that adrenaline was something else. I mean, I I was, (laughs) my brother, you know, tells me to this day, he's like, I couldn't believe how much you were shaking. And it was, it was all I could do. I mean, he took, that Tom took his time coming down into the, into those decoys and um, about halfway into the decoys, he's probably 40, 50 yards away. Here comes a hen. She popped out with the fence line behind us and now I'm like really concerned because where's that hen going to take the Tom and and my the hen was really you know was about 20 yards from us and I'm like well me shaking this much I'm going to spook that hen for sure and so you know the more you try to be still the harder it is with turkey shakes and all the anxiety and and that Tom just kept Mm -hmm. coming and he strutted right into those decoys and he really wouldn't come out of strut I was like waiting for him you know to kind of come out of strut a little bit so he'd give me a really good target and I told at this time my brother he happened to pull out his iPhone and was trying to, to tape it as well as you know purr and cluck a little bit I was like cluck do something so he'll come out of there and so uh-huh. he put the phone down and, and clucked once and boom that was it and my brother was like, what'd you shoot so fast for? He goes, I put the phone down. <laughs> but he, so he didn't get the kill on the camera. But it was such a, just the anxiety and the tension and the, everything at that point was just, had come to a head for me. And my injury is, is that that turkey came down there and, you know, I was able to pull the trigger again. And, and for it to be my first Tom ever was something else and something I, I'll never forget. And to share it with my brother, this my brother was with me that day, was not on that hunting trip with with me. This is my, my oldest brother. But to share that with him and to share it with family and to be out there in the field again with family and, and enjoying the hunt was definitely therapy and, and healing. And 
and that's the beauty of hunting is being out there and being good for the soul and being good for you know for camaraderie and mm-hmm. just spending time with with family and that's what that's what it's all about and that's when I look back and put it into perspective it's not about pulling the trigger it's about just being out there with with friends and family and enjoying the outdoors and I'm able to put a lot of things in perspective now that I've been through a, an accident like I have and you know I've lost my thumb but it's been what's almost four years now and it's something I've adjusted to where I don't have the time I don't even realize it there's a there's a, a lot of our veterans and armed forces that are protecting our country that come back with a lot less with a lot more uh, mental trauma than I went through and then those are the true heroes and that's what keeps me going is when I put things in perspective and but that turkey that day that that's got me hooked turkey hunting is is <laughs> I'm psyched for this spring you know you're doing the countdown counting down with you I hear you. Yep. It, it'll be here before we know it. So I'm looking forward to it as well. And it'll be a great time for sure. Well, like I ask everyone that I have on the show, I always like to have them give us a story of their most recent turkey kill and one or two things that made that hunt a success. I wanted you to tell the story of your first turkey after your injury, after your accident. And you did that, but now tell us one or two things that you think helped to make that hunt a success for you. Well, Andy, the biggest thing that day was patience. I mean, the, yeah. the birds were gobbling on the roost that morning, and it was a beautiful thing to listen to. But after they flew down, they were quiet. That bird that we, we had sat there after I moved over to, with my brother, I mean, we had sat there for a good hour and a half and not heard a thing. And mm-hmm. so th- there comes a time where your butt starts getting sore and your legs are stiff and you're losing the patience and, you know, you're calling every 20, 30 minutes. What we were doing is just hoping something would come into range and we were about ready to give up. And that's what I'll say to that is patience. And we don't have the privilege of having a lot of land where we can run a gun and go and see if we can drum up something. So that morning is just being still, call every once in a while and just know they're out there. And they, you know, that was mid-morning too. You know, a lot of people say those mid-morning hunts, they heard you first thing in the morning. They may have been henned up and separated from the hens, and mid-morning they're ready for the next one. And yeah. have heard you calling over there in that corner of the field all morning, and was like, fine, I'm, I'm on my way now. <laughs> right. And that's, I think, exactly what happened that morning. Yeah. I think that is something that we can all get a good reminder of is patience out there. I like to say the key to being a good turkey hunter is being patiently aggressive and yeah. You just have to you have to know when to be patient, know when to be aggressive, and you're hunting a small piece of property like that. You need to be much more patient than you do aggressive. Right. And so yeah, the other thing so is like, know where you're hunting. And and my brother had shot one there this that morning, and it's like, well, that one's there. The others have to be around close. So you talk about woodsmanship all the time, and and knowing where they're moving and where they're going, and that's what helped us out that morning as well as being in the in the right spot at the right time. And that was another key to that morning as well. Yep. Good deal. Well, Blake, man, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story with us. And maybe if your story will get one person to stop and think or just slow down and think before they go running through the woods with a loaded gun to step on a turkey's head or anything like that, like we talked about, in and out of a vehicle, crossing a fence, crossing a creek, going across a log that's falling across a creek, if they'll just stop or slow down, unload that gun, and take their time, just be a little bit more cautious. If one person will do that after listening to this, then the hour, hour and 10 minutes, however long you and I have been on this call, is well worth it in my book. And I know you, having gone through what you went through, certainly agree with that statement. Absolutely. That's an understatement. Otherwise, you wouldn't have taken the time to come and share your story with us. So I appreciate that. And I wish you the best of luck this spring. I hope to see a few pictures of you with some turkeys sometime soon. So when you put a few of them down, don't forget me. Email me some pictures. Will do. I'm, I'm hoping to at least have a couple to send you. Good. I'll be looking forward to seeing those. And once again, I enjoyed meeting you at the show. And you were one of the many listeners that I met at the show. And it was awesome. That was truly my favorite part of it. I appreciate all of you guys listening and appreciate you too, Blake. The show's nothing without you guys listening. So, And I appreciate everybody reaching out to me over the past few weeks as well. 
it's always nice to hear from you guys. So, Blake, stay in touch with me. And like I said, I'll be looking for those pictures from you. And I'm going to let you get home to the kids. It is 7.30 Central Time, and I'm sure they're dying to see Daddy. So I'm going to cut you loose, and I hope you have a great night and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. Same to you. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I had a good time and got some great reminders while talking to him. I think so many of us, including myself, often have a blank will never happen to me attitude about a lot of things. Gun safety, I believe, is no exception. The truth of the matter is, if you and I are not careful in making sound decisions while we have a gun in our hand, then it can, it could, and it does happen to us. All right, enough about all that. Hey, don't forget about the turkey call giveaway that's going on right now. You know, last week I got messages from you guys telling me that when you tried to register that you were getting a message saying the call giveaway was over. Well, I went in and fixed that shortly after I got your messages letting me know that. And the call giveaway is not over. You can go and register for that. So I have teamed up with Pollard's Elite Game Calls to give away an awesome sounding glass pot and peg call. The giveaway will happen in just a few short days. I'm going to cut off the registrations on 229 at 11:59:59 p.m. and I'll draw the lucky winner of the call on 3:116. So we're not far away. To register for the call giveaway, all you have to do is text the word Pollards, that's P O L L A R D S, to the number 44222 and then reply back to the text that you're going to receive from me with only your email address. Registering for the call giveaway will literally take you about 20 seconds. Trust me, you want this call. It is a screamer of a call and I have a feeling that it's going to make turkeys gobble like there's no tomorrow and I want you to win it. All right, that's all I have for you guys today and we are blowing through this and I'm letting you get on with your week but I want you to do me a favor before I do let you go. If today's show made you laugh or chuckle or think or even taught you something, then please go leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. That is much appreciated, and it will help people decide if they want to listen to the show or not. Also, please subscribe to the show as well. Subscribing will not cost you any dinero, and you'll be notified as soon as a new show is posted and you won't miss a thing. And if you don't mind, please forward, like, and share the show on social media and tell a hunting buddy or two about it. And finally, listen in next week. I have a great show for you next week. Scott Davis with Urban Hunting TV is going to come on the show and talk to us about urban hunting. I think we can all learn a lot of information from Scott, and I want you guys to tune in for that so you don't miss it because it's going to be great. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.